Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Bold Beautiful Borderline podcast. It's Sarah and Lori. And today we have a very fun episode. Um, If y'all have been in therapy over your life, and especially if you've had multiple therapists, then you can probably find something to relate to in this episode, because we're going to be talking about client therapy or client therapist relationships. Um, And I sure have had my fair share of fun, funny, and really therapeutic ones. But Lori, do you want to get us started? Yeah, I, this topic is so important because a, I think there's a ton of people out there who have gone to one therapist and it wasn't a good fit. And then they're just like, nope, therapy doesn't work for me. And I really, really, really want to break that down because that is not how it works. Um, first of all, the first couple sessions always going to be kind of weird. Um, and second of all, it's never like the first one you find is likely not going to be the right one. Right. So like, that's why I advocate for what I, what I call therapist shopping. I don't know if there's like a real thing for that, but um, I call it dating. Yeah, exactly. So like, of course, sadly, the health system is not really set up to allow us to have like free reign of like, I'm going to do a different therapist a week until I find one that I have, like, it's going to be expensive, but, um, I do think that it's important to do so. I will say that may be different in the States versus in Canada. I don't know. Obviously, I'm not in Canada, but here it's very common practice if you're looking on like Psych Today or any of the online tools and you're not being referred by. So like if you're in the Kaiser system and you're referred by like your PCP to a therapist, generally you would just go see them, pay the copay and have a full session. But if you're shopping for your own therapist, which I would personally suggest you do, It's very common practice for therapists to provide a free 15 to 20 minute consultation. Yeah. I was going to say that's something that I don't think people realize you should advocate for. And I really, really, really strongly believe that I actually, I value therapists that have that as like a requirement for getting into treatment with them, because I think that sometimes the relationship's not going to work on either end, right? Like, and you need to be able to know that. Yeah. And, and actually if a therapist is not having that like zoom or phone or even in person consultation, I wouldn't onboard with them if it, if it was me. And this is always something that I tell my coaching clients in a consult is like, go meet with other coaches, go meet with other therapists, like, and come back and let me know if you feel like I'm the right fit, because I want you to feel really confident in who you're seeing. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've had my fair share of not good (laughs) counseling experiences and I've had my, I've had two counselors in my life that have changed everything for me and I love them to bits. So some of the, some of the ways that I've identified the not so great ones, and I don't want to like, I'm not going to get into like the details because there's no point, right? The, The point is finding the one that works for you more than like bitching about the ones that did, but some of the ones that didn't either weren't addressing the underlying issues at all, clearly weren't listening to what I was saying, using tools on me that I said I wasn't interested in and, or were like, oh, I don't think that's going to work for me. So I'm not a visual person. So sometimes I have a really hard time in therapy when people want me to visualize stuff. Cause I have a very, very hard time visualizing stuff. So if I tell a therapist that up front and then their entire treatment is like, visualize this. I'm just like, why am I paying you? Like, you're clearly not like listening to what I'm doing. You're just following whatever you do with every client. Right. So those are some examples of like, not 
good connections? Do you have any other ones, Sarah, that would be like a good red flag? I think as a queer person, if people don't have a cultural understanding of your background, for me, that's just not going to work. I think that's especially true of people of color as well. Um, Like, I'm not going to go to therapy and teach you about queer language. I'm just not going to do it. So, like, if I had a trans partner and I have to explain to you, like, the process to transition, it's just, it's not going to work, right? Like, that's an experience I've had in the past where it's like, I'm not going to spend my session explaining to you how, like, what phalloplasty is. We're not doing this. Like, look it up. I'm Um, not here to educate you. You're here to support me in finding my own answers. Yeah. So I think that that's always a big one is finding a provider that you feel like is culturally relevant and speaks your kind of language within reason, right? Of course, we can't expect expect everyone to have the same background and experience as us, but we shouldn't be educating our providers necessarily either. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. So my current counselor, who I love to bits, I remember one of my first sessions, I realized she had a cross necklace on. And I was like, oh, fuck, here we go. And it has never once come up. I have said that and I it shouldn't. <laughs> exactly. And I, and I've said like, you know, I think religion is stupid, blah, 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 blah. And like, um, she's never flinched or anything, which is like good. Cause at first I was going like, oh man, I really like this person. But like, if she's going to like use religious ideas on me, then I'm not down. Right. Um, and I think that that does come up like, yeah, we say, oh, it shouldn't, but I think it does <laughs> at the end of the day. Right. So, um, anyway, I just like things like that where get like trust your gut on the red flags but also give them a chance because just because you're wearing a cross necklace doesn't mean you're religious doesn't mean you're gonna talk about that during your sessions like you know it's it's fine and the counselors are very used to having people like say things that make them uncomfortable but not reacting you know yeah and they shouldn't be reacting unless of course you're talking about like harming someone else um yeah 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 um but even if you're talking about harming yourself like they shouldn't be reacting they should be able to have a very calm posture very blank expression um yeah yeah that's funny I too have had two therapists that have been really crucial in my um process and both were social workers which does not surprise me because we're trained to see like a very holistic picture of mental health whereas psychotherapists are very like analytical about symptom presentation um and they're less likely to work across systems but um yeah I could get into they've been very different relationships and both of the um both of these individuals I met at very different times in my life but I will say without a doubt the first social worker that I worked with I started working with her when I was 17 and left when I was 20 at the end of it I was like completely felt like I was in love with her and I was just like this isn't functional anymore um which is really common totally that's interesting and did you say that to her I didn't. I think um, I think it probably would have gotten to a place where I would have, but I had to move because I got my first case management position in Tacoma. So like I naturally was leaving anyways, but she was the first person. She didn't diagnose me with borderline, but um, 
She was the first person that really saw my depression for how severe it was. I was having my first major depressive episode and I was actively like planning for suicide. And um, she referred me to an inpatient program, then an intensive outpatient program. And after that, like I went to all of her outpatient like groups and inpatient, like I just like, I would like carry her like... (laughs) extra materials back up to her office for her. And then I was just like, this is like, I, you know, um, God bless her. So yeah, I think maybe definitely if I was older, I would have, and it's very common and therapists are trained for how to respond. If a patient like admits that they have some sort of feeling of love for their provider. So if you are a listener and you're having this experience, like, please talk to your provider about it. But it's not, it's super common. There's a lot of research about like, if you feel like you've developed a secure attachment, and especially if this is the first secure attachment you've ever felt, and you've been with your provider a long time, it's not uncommon to have those kinds of feelings. So I think I had to move to Tacoma. Yeah, I know that that's something that happens, especially um, in DBT programs a lot. um, And with people with borderline, just because of the way that we do attach quite quickly. And my understanding is that they actually are, because it's so common, they use that to talk about boundaries and to build those, like basically your therapeutic relationship in that sense is like you practicing your skills on getting rejected and having to experience boundaries and all of these things. So it's, it's not a bad thing to bring up because it means that you can use your skills with that person in a safe environment. Yeah. And actually, until you bring it up, you're not likely to have a full therapeutic experience because you're going to be blocking it by your emotional reaction or attachment to your provider, right? Um, You might not be as willing to share the whole story and you might be filtering things differently. So that's, that's really cool. I, I haven't had that experience in DBT, but it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I haven't either, but I've, I've heard that that's very common. Um, Yeah. My first counseling partnership, whatever you want to call it, that was really positive was also a social worker. Um, and it was through like the public system. And so I had been referred to her from an emergency room. Um, and they had said the person at the emergency room said specifically, like, I think that this particular counselor will be very good at working with you because you have BPD. Oh, no, sorry. I didn't have a BPD diagnosis, but it was all the BPD traits, blah, 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 blah. I think this person's going to be really good with you. She has a lot of experience working with people like you, blah, 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 blah. And so I went to her and she was so incredible. I It was like the first time that I experienced a therapeutic relationship where like she had my back and she was there to support me and what I needed. So like, I were first of all, she, she was the one who said like, look, I'm a social worker. I can't diagnose you. You have borderline personality disorder. I I know that you have borderline personality disorder. And I know that DBT treatment will be so good for you because you're intelligent. You have insight. You're, you're committed, like all of these things. We need to make sure that you get into that program. And so we're going to take the steps to make sure that you get into that program. I'm going to refer you to a psychiatrist, blah, 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 blah. Just like an incredible human being. Um, she also, because it was part of the public system, it's like a time limited service, right? So like you're only allowed to see them, let's say once a week for six months or whatever it was. I can't remember. And, um, she said, look, I realized that like at this point in your life, cause I was, this was like the, my low, right. This was like 
the worst part of my life. She said, I, I know that me leaving you right now is not going to be very helpful. And, um, technically I'm supposed to remove you from my caseload now because it's been six months or whatever it was, but instead I'm going to make it so that we meet once a month so that you still have a connection to the system and you still have an advocate within the system and we can still meet, but it's not going to like flag the system. And so she basically like put herself on the line to support me and make sure that I didn't get rejected yet again from the system. So vital, so vital. Sadly, she ended up um, moving to a different unit and then I wasn't able to see her anymore because I lived in the wrong city, blah, 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 blah. But at that point I was already in DVT. So she did everything she needed to, to make, to make me survive essentially. And I, I will never forget her. I've actually thought so many times because the, the health authority, they all have the same email addresses. Like it's always like first name dot last name at whatever. And I'm like very tempted to reach out to her and just be like, just so you know, you changed my life. I hope you know that. I don't know if you remember me, but you changed my life and I haven't done it, but I've thought about it. You should put that on our Patreon page if you ever do it. Yeah, I should actually, I really should. I should probably just do it. It always feels like awkward. It's like, is that like going against boundaries? But like, I'm sure that it makes them happy. Not when it's been so many years either. Oh yeah. It's been like nine, nine years or something. She wouldn't even have your file anymore. No, 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 not at all. Yeah. So my second experience that was really, really positive as a therapist I have now, we've been working together for three, probably going on four years and, um, She's the provider that referred me to a DBT program. And um, she, it was really important that I continue to see her while I was in my DBT program for that same experience of like, I am not like, this is such an important therapeutic relationship in my life. I am not going to lose you. And technically when you're in DBT, you need to have an internal DBT clinician as well as going to group and seeing their psychiatrist. So she worked with the Portland DBT Institute so that they would allow me to see her as well as their internal clinicians um, and go to group. And that was really vital. But she also did a really good job of preparing me for DBT. We talked a lot about like, look, Sarah, You're an emotionally dysregulated person. You're going to sit in a chair surrounded by 10, 15 other people who are emotionally dysregulated. There are going to be days you want to tell people to fuck off and get up out of that chair and leave. I'm going to ask you to stay. Like, I need you to stay. I want you to stay. Your job is to stay. Even if you don't do the homework, even if you feel like you're not learning anything, your job is to stay. And that was really important for me because there were several times where I was like, fuck this bitch. Will you please move on already? Like, I don't care about whatever it is that you're saying. Like, shut the fuck up and let's move on. And I remember just being like, Jennifer told me my job is to stay. My job is to stay. Yeah. And I, it's interesting. Cause yeah, that's basically this, this counselor, one of the things that was so important was that was the prep for DBT. Like not only did she advocate for me to get into DBT, but she also taught me what it's going to be like, why it's so important, why I'm a good fit. And like, just really talked me through it. Um, because I'm the kind of person who like, I need to know why. Right. So like, even at the dentist, I'm like, what are you doing? What does that do? is, you know, what's that tool called? Like, I'm just like one of those annoying people that's just like, if I know why something's happening, then I'm like, cool with it. But if it's just like, 
random than I don't. So it was so, so valuable. Um, and then I actually stopped going to counseling for a few years. Well, cause I was doing DBT and then I was feeling pretty good and blah, 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 blah. Then I had a pretty bad experience with, um, somebody from my university campus. It was, I think she was like a master's student and like, just like, it wasn't a good experience. Um, and then I started dating Aaron and, uh, I think things got like bad again. I think I was like actually really depressed for a bit actually. Um, and Aaron was like, I said, I need to go to counseling, but I just like, I cannot, I don't have the energy and like the motivation to like find a counselor. And so he said, okay, cool. So he went on like, is it psych? What's it called? Psychology today, find a therapy tool. Yeah, there you go. Psychology today, find a therapy tool. Very, very useful tool would highly recommend. Um, he went on there, you know, knowing nothing about anything. And just typed in like borderline personality disorder therapist near me or something. And maybe like a DBT therapist near me or something. And um, he found this lady and I was kind of like hesitant, you know, it's always scary to find a new person because you have to start over and blah, blah, blah. And because I had come off of a bad experience, I wasn't convinced. And we did our initial phone call, you know, 15 minutes of just like chatting. And I said, you know, what modality do you use? Like, what's your experience working with people with BPD? what's your kind of like philosophy on treatment, you know, and her answers were all really good. And I went to meet her uh, in person for my first session. And I just was like, huh, this is an incredible, like, this is a good fit. Like, and, and I was so thankful because I don't know. I, at that point I was in such a bad place that I don't know if it had been a bad fit, if I would have had the drive to go find another one. And I have been seeing her for probably almost four years now. and. What's super, super awesome about her is she is very cool with me just like not coming very often. So, I mean, my health benefits only cover three sessions a year. <laughs> so like. That is literally insane. Yeah. Actually, they, uh, yeah, three sessions. Maybe it's three and a half sessions a year. It's $500 a year and my appointments are 140 each. I see my therapist two to four times a month. And I've paid on three different insurance programs. I've paid two of them. I paid $20 um, copays and one of them I paid a $50 copay. So the most I paid for four sessions a month was $200. Right. So I don't have a copay, um, but I would much rather have a $20 copay and be able to see them more often. So yeah, I, I get $500 a year and that's not very much when you consider how much your appointment costs. So and I'm lucky, like I have health benefits. I work at a health authority. That's a good benefit package, which is sad, but it is. So uh, you also didn't just get a $5,000 bill from the hospital because you broke your nose, whereas I did. So it's definitely a payoff. <laughs> to- oh, oh, for sure. I mean, like, I'm not complaining. I, well, I am. I'm complaining. No, 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 I know. Cause in that moment I was like, damn, I'm so glad I'm in the States. And then I remembered, mm, yeah. no, not always. Yeah. So the, the issue is that counseling services are not included in our universal healthcare program unless they're delivered in the hospital or outpatient. So that, I mean, I've written papers for school about this. Like this is a huge issue, like dental care and pharmacare and counseling need to be included in universal healthcare. Anyways, they're not. So you have to have extended health benefits. 
or you can pay out of pocket, but obviously like that's not very feasible. Um, for example, last month I was going through some stuff and I saw my counselor, um, extra times. And in like six weeks I spent $700 and then I went to go resubmit my uh, receipts. And it turns out that I had already run out of benefits. <laughs> so I was like, Oh shit. Okay, cool. Good thing you returned that dice and hair straightener. <laughs> Literally. Fuck. Yeah. Good thing. So, I mean, again, I like, there's never, never going to be a good time to see a counselor in terms of finances or time or anything. And like, I don't want people to not go because of that. I also think that it's really important for people to advocate for the fact that like people do sliding scale, which means you can pay a less amount. So I was actually talking to my counselor about this the other day, because I was telling her about super feelers and stuff and how well it was going. And she said, she's like, you guys should just charge 10 bucks. And I was like, well, yeah, like we could, but I don't know. She's like to her, she's like, I'll do sliding scale counseling. She's like, I'll do $10 sessions. I'll never do free sessions because people don't come. And I was like, yeah, that's super fair. She's like, $10 is not very much money, but it makes people dedicated enough to go. Um, so anyway, something we can talk about another time, but I actually um, have thought about that concept. Yeah. I just hate like having any financial barrier, but it, it's definitely something we can consider. I mean, even $5 though, because we do have a high no show rate right now. Yeah, totally. And it's a lot of work on our end. (laughs) It's literally so much work on our end, but we love it. So don't no nobody consider like nobody say, Oh, they don't like it. We love it so much. No, we love super feelers. We love super feelers. So I, I, anyway, so I, I will see this counselor, you know, every other week for a couple months. And then I won't see her for a year and a half if I don't need to. And she's totally cool with that. And I really appreciate that because they don't have to be right. They can say like, well, I filled your spot and now my caseload's too big and I don't want to see you anymore. And she's just like, yeah, no problem. I am busy the next two weeks because people have like exit, like pre-existing appointments. But if you can slip in this time, then we're good. And I just like, I value that relationship so much. And I really, really hope that she never like goes out of practice (laughs) because even if I only see her once a month, like it's still, or once every two months, like it doesn't even matter. Like it's just somebody that's um, impartial that you can talk to. And like, she, she brings up skills and like, it's just so helpful. Yeah. And I, let's see, I've been seeing Jennifer for almost four years. And I think there's probably been like three times where I go, I've gone like a month in between sessions just because of like summer or camping or I don't know, you know, like shit happens. And each time I'm like, I remembered why I do this. Like for me, it's really essential to go twice a month, if not weekly. Like, and that's just, that's just what works for me. And you don't have that same level of need. You also went to DBT a decade ago. I went three years ago, maybe. I don't know. Um, was it a decade ago? I think it was like eight years. So close okay. enough. Seven yeah. years. I don't, I don't know. Long time ago. It like long time, long, ago. long time ago enough that I've been able to like practice my skills for a very long time. And so. I can say you are so much more skillful than me. <laughs> um, it's all practice though. That's the thing is it's literally all practice. Yeah, it is practice. So for anyone listening, like reach out to us if you're having a hard time or you're nervous or you need some reframing around therapy. Um, because if you have borderline personality disorder, 
Yes. Medication can be really, really helpful for managing mood, but the, the recovery really comes in the skills use, whether that's DBT or um, MBT. What is that called? Mentalization. Based therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Even CBT for some people can be really helpful. Of course, DBT has like pieces of CBT. So the, the true like sustainable recovery comes in the skills use, skills use in combination with medication, skills use in your relationships, get into therapy, interview 15 therapists if you need to. Like if that's what you need to do, I know that can sound really exhausting and overwhelming and we want to be here to support you guys if you need that. Um, I do have a, a video on my IGTV about how to find a therapist. It's been a while now, probably almost a year, um, but I walk you guys through how to use that um, psychology today, find a therapy or find a therapist tool. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. And we'll definitely share that on our socials when, when this episode comes out too, because that's super helpful. Yeah. And I really think that like the, the, the key message here for me is don't give up. If you've had a bad relationship with a therapist, there are others and you'll find the one that you need. It's like a relationship with a partner, <laughs> like a relationship with anybody, a friend, an employer, like sometimes relationships don't work and they're not for you. Yeah. And be empowered to tell your therapist what you need. Like, I think there's been like twice where I had to say to Jennifer, like she could tell, like I went from being really engaged to like completely disassociated, my face changed, whatever. And I couldn't tell her in that session, but in the next session she revisited it and she was like, last session, this happened. I need to know for us what happened for you. And I was like, when you said this, I felt invalidated. And she said, okay, thank you for that feedback. That was not my intention. What do you need moving forward to not feel invalidated, right? And that's self-advocacy. It's skills practice. And it's that's maintaining your therapeutic relationship. You have just as much right and, and um, responsibility, really, responsibility in the therapeutic relationship to make it be what you need to be. You don't just have to willy-nilly agree with everything that your therapist says. So work with them collaboratively to create the experience that you need for you and your recovery. And sometimes that looks like getting there, sitting on their couch and being like, I don't want to fucking be here right now. I have done that so many times and they're, they're totally cool with that. Oh my God. How many times have I been like, look, bitch, I just don't want to pay your late payment. Okay. So I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure they hear that all the time because you don't always slash even often want to go to counseling, but you need to go to counseling to like maintain your wellness. Right. The other thing that I just want to say quickly is I know that there, that we talk about stigma a lot in this podcast. And I know that Google is full of stigma about BPD. Please don't let yourself be afraid of the stigma to the point where you don't reach out for help. You don't need to get a diagnosis. If you listen to this podcast and resonate with the things that we say, that's very common. You probably don't have BPD, but even if you do, you don't need to get a diagnosis and you don't need to have it on your file and you don't need to tell anybody. So if you are sitting here going, like, I don't want to access treatment because I don't want anybody to tell me that I have BPD and I don't want that written down on my file, then that's okay. And you can 
say that and you can, you have to try hard to get a diagnosis for the record. <laughs> like it's not necessarily like an easy, like you go in one time and they give you a diagnosis. A counselor can't diagnose you anyways. Um, so just please don't use the stigma as a reason to not go. Just like I say, please don't use lack of time to not go. Please don't within reason use, I, I can't afford it right now to not go. Of course, that's a valid reason. And I understand that I have financial privilege that others don't, but there are counselors that have sliding scales. There are counselors that are free. There are um, workbooks that you can buy on Amazon for $20 to learn skills, right? So like, if you think about the fact that you got your nails done last week, you could buy a DBT skills book four times. And I think that's really important. And come to Superfeelers. We talk about skills all the time. Go through our our IGTV series. We talk about skills all the time. Um, And it is a goal for me and I'm sure for Lori as well as we progress in the BBB kind of podcast and community that we're building to someday be able to set up some sort of like scholarship, no matter how small that is. But I would love to do that. I would also love to do that. So guys, we love you. If you haven't and you've been putting it off, go out, find a therapist, send some emails, give them some phone calls, see who responds, have those consultations. Do not fall in love with your therapist and go find recovery. Or if you do fall in love with your therapist, tell them and practice experiencing rejection. (laughs) And oh my God, if they love you back, that's big boundaries are crossed. (laughs) We do not do that. No, run away, run away, run away. All right, guys, we love you and we'll see you next time. Hi, friends. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bold, Beautiful, Borderline podcast. Lori and I are so grateful that you're here with us on this journey and we can't wait to dive into more topics in the future with you all about Borderline and even have some more fun and exciting guests to join us on the podcast. If you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you would rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. We would also love to see you interact with us on social media and on our Patreon page. The links to that are included in the show notes, so check us out there. We would be incredibly honored to get to know you all as you get to know us and our recovery stories. We love you, and we'll see you next time.